The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Tanisha Michal Martin has defended the government's planned neutrality debates and said it would be a fundamental mistake to shy away from re-examining Ireland's defence policy. Comments by President Michael D. Higgins that Ireland is experiencing a dangerous drift in foreign policy drew a lot of criticism over the weekend and today. To discuss neutrality in the surrounding commentary, I'm joined on the line by People Before Profit TD for Dunleary and President of the Irish anti-war movement, Richard Boyd Barrett, and in studio by Independent TD for the Kildare South constituency and former Army Ranger Cahill Barry. And before we even began to speak, a text arrived in saying, great to see Michael D bringing this important issue of our neutrality to the attention of the people of Ireland. Our weak politicians will blindly follow the diktats of the US-EU-WEF, which don't have the best interest of the Irish people at heart. Top marks to Michael D, a morally strong, independent thinker. Well, I don't want to relitigate whether or not Michael D was correct in what he said, but it does bear a quick mention. Calberry, your own reaction. Did the president decide to grossly overstep his constitutional bounds? Uh, not at all. I was actually in Jiggenstown in, in Nace where he made that wonderful speech on housing uh, a few months back and that was very, very well received and I welcome that. So I wouldn't have concerns about the, the constitutional boundaries at all. Um, what I would be a little bit more concerned perhaps is the drift in, in standards in public office and I've mentioned already this morning that um, really elected officials uh, shouldn't really be targeting private individuals, particularly uh, of someone of, uh, of the calibre uh, of Professor Richardson. And uh, This know, is the comments that the President made in respect of the chairperson of the forum that's going to address uh, neutrality referencing her damehood is that correct? Yeah, so I've just mentioned that he's a, she has a very large DBE, a Dame of the British Empire. And uh, I suppose it's important your listeners are aware that, I mean, the reason she received that is because of her services to disadvantaged kids trying to get into college and also for a role in the AstraZeneca vaccine that basically uh, saved thousands of lives all over the world. So to me, that would actually enhance her suitability, not debar her from it. And your concern is that the president shouldn't have been voicing uh, apparent criticism of a private individual, is that it? Uh, yes, but particularly uh, someone of the stature, particularly in an unprovoked way, and particularly someone who's actually doing the state some service. And presumably she was invited to chair the forum. And anybody who steps forward like that, even sports people, referees, journalists, as you know, they, they receive a lot of criticism these days and public officials shouldn't be contributing to that. Richard Boy Barrett, I assume you are supportive of the President's uh, comments in respect of the neutrality debate. What of that issue that Calberry raises of the, the comments around that one individual who's chairing the forum? Yeah, I'm absolutely supportive of what the president said, and I think he's right. Ring the alarm bells about what is now a very, very sustained campaign by uh, this government, and indeed it's a campaign that's been pursued for decades by Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, to undermine our neutrality. And I think it is he. the president was not targeting anybody personally. He was simply pointing out something that is blatantly obvious, which is that the forums that the government have organised are heavily stacked in in favour of people, including its chairperson, who are public, publicly on record as advocating in support of US and UK foreign policy and military intervention. Okay, well, the well, steady. I don't want to get, but hang on for a minute. I don't want to get too deep into an analysis of the chairperson's view because undoubtedly she will be chairing it as an objective chairperson and allowing the views to be held. So let us look then to those views themselves. The issue of neutrality, your position, I assume, is that it should be sacrosanct. Is that correct? 
I, absolutely. And uh, I, I think that it, what is happening at the moment uh, is that the government have seized on the brutal invasion by Russia of Ukraine as an opportunity to further undermine neutrality, which they've been chipping away at, going right back to Irish facilitation for the US-UK criminal and brutal war in Iraq in 2003, where we allowed two million US troops to go through Shannon Airport uh, to uh, impose death and destruction on the people of Iraq in what was a criminal war based on a pack of lies. And since then, we've had a consistent push by the Irish government to involve us in the evolving EU military structures, which are directly aligned with NATO. And then we get this forum, which is stacked with people who are pro-NATO. Okay, but can I ask then, Richard, if, if you go back to the heart of, of Ireland's neutrality, it effectively formed as policy during the um, Second World War. How is it that we look back at that and say, our decision to do nothing in the face of the worst atrocity that humanity has ever seen is something that we should regard as precedent that we then cling to? Well, first of all, I don't accept that it dates back to the Second World War. I think, first of all, the first person to advocate for neutrality was Wolfe Tone and the United Irishman as part of uh, fighting for the independence of this country from uh, the British Empire. Uh, And similarly, the first Irish Neutrality League was set up in 1914 by leaders like Connolly, Pearce and others who were to go on to involve themselves in the uh, 1916 Rising and the Irish Revolutionary Movement, who also opposed the slaughter of the First World War, where empires went out uh, in a war. But to the core point, Richard, the the, the inaction in the face of evil, is that something we should regard as, as moral high ground to which we subscribe? No, absolutely not. And the point is that what we've got is a government foreign policy that wants to align us with military powers who've been guilty of military evil uh, in Iraq, in Afghanistan, in Libya, uh, who are armed to the teeth with nuclear weapons, uh, who leading powers in NATO support Israel, support Saudi Arabia. Okay, well, you have your point there. Uh, Carl Berry, the the other aspect of all of this, whether we're aligned with NATO or not, is what's the point? What difference does uh, a military like Ireland make if we're signing up to NATO or anybody else? And why would we sacrifice the small protection that apparent neutrality gives us to make no difference in a, a, a NATO setup? Yeah, we, we shouldn't sacrifice our neutrality at all. And uh, look, I've been immersed in these issues for about three decades now. Um, as a former serviceman in, uh, in the Defence Forces. I've run the Foreign Affairs and Defence Committee for the last three years in the Oireachtas. Um, I don't detect any move towards NATO at all. I, I actually detect the opposite. I detect that the, the consensus, both politically and publicly, is that Ireland should maintain its own independent posture. And deep in the DNA of, of every, well, the vast majority of military people in Ireland. You don't think our, our membership of the UN Security Council, our saber rattling in relation to Ukraine, our discussion of political neutrality, but not or, or military neutrality, but not necessarily political neutrality. You don't see all of that as a drift in our foreign policy. Uh, no, it maintains our independent autonomy in that regard. So Ireland should be able to act on a case-by-case basis as it sees fit, in accordance with other sovereign uh, states. And uh, as you said about the DNA of, of the Defence Force, like very much imbued in the DNA is that that we serve neither King nor Kaiser. And, and all this... Uh, all these forums are doing, and I very much welcome them, by the way, because it allows us to discuss these topics and so we can have informed and, and respectful debate. It's like, how are we going to protect 
this island home of ours. And it's a normal conversation to have at home who, who locks the doors and windows at night. A business will discuss, do we need to get an intruder alarm? Do we need a security guard? And at a, sta- and at a nation state level, it's just important that we make prudent and sensible precautions. To How do you square issues. that then with when you use the analogy of, of closing the doors and windows? In a large context or in, in, in large part, the closing of the doors and windows, particularly in airspace terms, has been done by King. It has been done by the RAF. So what is the point in us allowing our airspace to be protected by the RAF while claiming neutrality? Yeah, so it's a complete contradiction of neutrality. What a, what a neutral state is able to do is be able to stand alone and fight alone and provide its own means to do so. So it should be able to operate on its landmass uh, and its territorial waters, its airspace and in cyberspace and should not need the intervention of, of uh, regional arrangements. So if we wish to be a neutral state, we should de- develop our own independent capability. And look, I'm, I'm no major fan of but NATO. the money, Carl. Like the money that that would require, the money that it would require to defend our seas totally independently of, of any other European supporter of the UK, the money that it would require to have the kind of jets that it would be, we would you know, need. So it's very, very small money. We actually had that capability 20 years ago. We actually had Fuga Magister jet subsonic aircraft. We had limited means of intercepting and providing a, an air policing service in our own airspace. So when we were a poorer country, 20 years ago, we could do it. And similarly now, we're spending 65 million euro a year on providing a search and rescue contract service for the Coast Guard. We can provide an air policing service uh, for half that cost every year. So that's the, the kind of money we're talking about. Using what? So there's a, you can use a, a, a training aircraft. So there's a number of models available. So you can use a supersonic training aircraft, which is capable of being armed. Uh, South Korea has an extant model at the moment. You can lease eight of them. Um, for half the cost of what it would be to provide uh, for search and rescue Coast Guard helicopters at the moment. So it's not, it's not the, the financial issue isn't the issue. The, the issue is whether we wish to resource our neutrality. We're claiming to be neutral, but we're acting as though we're not. One of the points that you made there was that the discussion about neutrality is one of the things that should happen because it allows for reflection and for a reconfirmation, if that's the case. What of that point, Richard Boyd Barrett, that we shouldn't be afraid of discussion, particularly if that discussion ends up agreeing with the position that you already take? No, because we have advocated for discussion. We've advocated to have a referendum. That's the biggest form of discussion you can have where the people get to decide on neutrality. We also supported the idea of a citizens' assembly where we would have a genuinely representative cross-section of Irish society discussing the issue, the issue which the government initially supported but then abandoned because I think they're afraid of, of public opinion. And instead, we have a conference which is packed full of people who work for NATO, who are involved in the military, who are involved in the military uh, industry. And if you take, for example, the session that is dealing at the forum that is dealing with NATO, there are three speakers, two of them work for NATO, and one of them, an academic, is on public record as saying we should be involved in NATO, and not a single speaker uh, who is opposed to involvement in NATO. And that reflects, by the way, the much more general balance of all of this. And it's clear that the Irish government are, in practice, moving us closer to NATO. We general in Cork okay. uh, earlier this year uh, assessing our forces. Okay, we have that uh, point, Richard. I want to get your reaction to what Carl was suggesting, that if we are to commit wholeheartedly to neutrality, with that comes a commitment to militarisation, because it's it's a lot of the texts that are coming in are saying things like, Anton, we aren't neutral, we are defenceless. Countries like Austria and Switzerland understand that neutrality has to be paid for and they equip their defence forces accordingly. Would you be willing to see money put where your mouth is in terms of neutrality. 
I, I would like to see our soldiers and defence uh, forces paid properly. I mean, one of the reasons that we're, we're under... Uh, manned uh, in our defence forces at the moment is because they can't recruit and retain enough soldiers because they pay them so badly. Uh, And fighter jets? No, I'm not in favour of us investing in fighter jets. And I don't think, uh, as a neutral country, our job is to uh, essentially develop a major military So how do we defend our airspace if we don't use the RAF and if we don't have our own capacity? The best best defence we have is precisely our neutrality. Uh, Internationally, Ireland has a second to none... But hang on, uh, Richard, when when a Russian... No, but hang on for a second. No, there is a premise in that that I wanted to challenge. When a Russian bomber comes into our airspace, we can't shout... Out, we have neutrality at it. Why do we only mention the Russian bomber and not the fact that we had two million US troops? Well, let's address the Russian bomber and then we can come back to the US troops. What do you do to keep the Russians out of the airspace, which they have impinged upon and been intercepted by the RAF? First of all, nobody is seriously suggesting that there is a conventional military threat from Russia to Ireland. That's preposterous. They're bogged down in a war in Ukraine, which they can't even win. But can you address the the actual question? Russian bomber, Irish airspace, how do we get them out? I don't believe there's a threat by Russia bombers to our airspace. Is the answer. No, of course we don't let them. But the point is... But we can't stop we, them be- unless we are equipped or unless we use the RAF. for one second. Would you let me finish for one second? Okay, what I'm saying is, if we align ourselves with any military power in the world, that is making us more vulnerable uh, to attack, and indeed to our peacekeepers uh, uh, across the world. Whereas if we're neutral, if we're not aligned, that is the best protection that we have. But, but with the greatest of respect, us, Richard, that doesn't actually answer my question. What I'm asking about is how do we defend ourselves? Because Calberry raised the issue. We're not of under in- attack. Calberry ra- raised attack. the issue of and being the, able to protect our airspace. If we have foreign countries, can I ask the question? If we have foreign countries entering our airspace, we either have a choice. We say you can't and we defend that airspace or we let them in. Which is it? We are not under military threat from any country at the moment. Okay. But if, if we involve ourselves with military alliances, the potential for us to be vulnerable to military okay. attack becomes greater. Richard. So neutrality is the best protection for the people of this country and indeed its armed forces serving in peacekeeping missions ab- abroad. Richard Boyd Barrett, thank you very much. That is Richard Boyd Barrett, who is People Before Profit TD for Dunleary. And thank you as well to Cahill Berry, who is Independent TD for Kildare South. And of course, a former army ranger himself. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9 a.m. on News Talk.